Amen. That's so, so good. Well, I'm just going to kind of springboard off of that and uh, talk to you guys a little bit. We're going to, I've been asking the Lord, you know, what do you want me to do? And it's funny because I was really going back and forth on exactly what I wanted to do, what God was leading me to do, and I didn't have anything set in stone. I mean, obviously, we did 144000 last week, and uh, this week we're supposed to go over to chapter 7, verse 9, and start there and look at the great multitude. But I was really going back and forth on what I wanted to do because I wanted to kind of hang out just a little bit more on the 144,000 because I had a lot of people asking questions last week, good questions. You know that, hey, the 144,000 seems explicitly stated that it's from this tribe and this tribe and this tribe. You know, how can you kind of go away from the uh, the simple meaning or the simple understanding of the text and say, well, it's not meaning a literal 144,000. So I thought, you know, God, what do you want me to do? What do you do? You, do you want me to get more technical with it? What do you want me to just kind of move on and show how you know the the multitude I feel like is the same? And and so this was before I knew that these guys were going to share today, and uh, I just began to do work and study on the person and work of Jesus Christ and the idea of sonship. Believe it or not, before this ever came. The idea of sonship and what it means to be a son of God, what it means to be what the text says, even in the 144,000 tribe of the sons of Israel, the sons of Israel. And, and God began to lead me down this path, a path that I've been really walking on and traveling and studying and searching and researching for years now. And that is this idea of how does the Old Testament relate to the New Testament? How does Jesus Christ bridge the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament if he does? What is the relationship between Jesus Christ and the Old Testament? And all these things started to just kind of fall into place for me as I began to study and fall into place in so much as what I was supposed to share today, what I, what I feel like God is leading me to share with you today. So uh, what I want to share with you is I want to share with you this notion or the idea or the concept that is found throughout the scriptures of Jesus Christ being true Israel and all of those who are found and born again into the family of God being sons of Jesus, sons of God, sons of true Israel. You say, you're reading a lot into the text, and, and, and I will admit that nowhere in the Scripture is it explicitly stated that Jesus is true Israel. It is stated that Jesus is the second Adam, explicitly. But the idea that Jesus Christ is the perfect fulfillment of who Israel was supposed to be and therefore takes the place as true Israel, the true Son of God, is throughout the New Testament. It's throughout the Scripture. And it is explicitly stated that Jesus Christ is the seed of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, to whom God promised all the promises of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. That's found in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. So how does this relate to what was just said? It was funny what Mike said, and I don't know if you even called it, Mike. You said, you said, I was running from God for 45 years. It had been 45 years since I'd had a relationship with God. And then God met with you. He brought you back in into 45 years, and your son called you. And he said to you, the very first thing he said was, would you like to have a relationship, right? 
And you said, son, I've been looking for you for 29 years. I wonder if God looked at you when you said, would you like to have a relationship with me? I wonder if God said, boy, I've been chasing you for 45 years. You know, it's amazing how the Lord pursues us. It's amazing how he longs for us. And he does not long to put us under a yoke of slavery leading to fear and you better do this and you better do that. We are free from the law. Amen? We are free from the law of Moses. It is not binding on us. We are under a new system, a new covenant. We are not under the old but a new. We are under a new covenant. We are under the covenant of grace. And now we walk in the law of Christ and not the law of Moses. We walk not as, 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 as outsiders longing to come in, but we walk and talk with Jesus as sons of God, as sons of the Most High, heirs of the throne, heirs. And he is, he is longing for us to come and be a part of his, his life. Well, the way that all this really fits together, and I guess today might be, might be one of the most encouraging sermons that I've ever preached in my entire life. Because I want, what I want you to know today is that Jesus Christ is not looking to put you under a system of authority, but he is looking to bring you into his family as a son and as daughters. And what I want to show you today and how this relates to the 144,000, this is the way I want you to, this is, this is what I want to get to, is that when, when God, when John speaks, when God through John speaks of the 144,000 of the tribes of the sons of Israel, my position last week was is that this is not a literal, literal number that is speaking of the literal people of Israel, but like the rest of Revelation, I think I showed uh, a lot of evidence that the vast majority of Revelation is, is symbolic. It's symbolic, and it carries with it a meaning. But like the rest of Revelation, this is a symbolic number that is meant to portray to us a certain idea. An idea in which that I think that I showed you from Revelation chapter 21, from Revelation chapter 5, and from Revelation chapter 14, that the 144,000, that number is, is symbolic of the 12 and the 12, which equals 144. The tw in 21, what's the two 12s? The twelves are the twelve gates that are the tribes of Israel and the twelve apostles, which are the foundations. And these twelve together make up 144, which is the measurement of the new Jerusalem. True Israel, new Jerusalem, this, this new thing that God is doing to perfect the old. The old is old and growing obsolete. That's Hebrews chapter 8. That's not my words. Hebrews chapter 7 says that that which is uh, the law is unable to perfect anything. So he's doing away with the old and behold the new has come. Not by abolishing it, but by fulfilling it. And this is where we find Jesus Christ as true Israel and how we understand that we now through Christ are the sons of Israel, the true Israel, Jesus Christ. Now, let's take a step back and I want to show you this. This to me, when I saw somebody walk this out for me, was the most fascinating thing that I'd seen in a long time. Okay, here it is. So in order, okay, let's go back Old Testament, okay? In order to be in relationship with God in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, what did we have to do? 
We had to obey the law. They had to obey the law of Moses, and they had, to, they had to walk in those ways. He said, if you will obey my commands and walk in my ways, I will be your God, and you will be my people. So in order to receive covenant blessings, you have to be obedient to the covenant. You have to obey the law. And in order to obey the law, you had to know the law, and, and you had to understand the law, and you had to do all of these ritualistic things. You had to follow the Levitical law and the Levitical priesthood and make sacrifices and and do all of these things. You had to perfectly fulfill all of these things, and then you could receive the covenant promises that were based on the covenant requirements. Well, the problem was that Israel could not keep the covenant requirements, and therefore were cut off from God, and they were exiled. They were cut off from the land of the living. They could not fulfill the requirements of the covenant, and therefore they did not receive the land like it had been promised. They did not receive blessing like it had been promised. God was continually trying to show them blessing, continually trying to bring them into his fold, continually show them what they needed to do, but they could not answer the call, right? And so we see this, this whole big uh, storyline throughout the Old Testament of, of them going into Egypt under, under slavery and under compulsion. And in Egypt, God rose up uh, the man Moses to bring them out of Egypt. How did he bring them out of Egypt? Through plagues and through trials and through persecuting Pharaoh and all the people. He turned the, he turned the water bitter. He turned it red. He turned it into blood. He brought frogs. He brought locusts. He brought all these things. And then finally, the last uh, uh, plague or the last uh, trial that he brought to Pharaoh was the killing of the firstborn, the killing of the children. And finally, uh, Pharaoh let the people go and they exited, they exodus, the exodus out of Egypt. And so we see this great example and type of the gospel that Jesus Christ would do in the exodus where God fought for them and, 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 and set them free from the captivity that they were experiencing in Egypt. What happened? I mean, in, in, uh, yeah, in Egypt, what happened after they left Egypt? After they left Egypt, they went through the Red Sea, which was the baptism, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians, was the baptism of Moses. And through the Red Sea, they were purified from that which was chasing them. And so after the water of the Red Sea, where did they go? They went into the wilderness to be what? Tested and tried. So they go into Egypt under compulsion. They're set free by the killing of the, of the babies and the newborns. And the only way that the babies and newborns could escape death was what? The blood that was painted over the doorpost, which was the what? The Passover. The Passover. If they would only uh, uh, sacrifice the lamb and paint the doorpost of the house with the blood of the lamb, then that house would be spared because it was covered in the blood of the lamb. And so we see that the only way that the children could escape was the presence of the blood of the lamb, the presence of the sacrifice, the presence of that which would cover them and, and make atonement for them so that they might survive. But those that did not have the lamb did not survive. And because of this, Pharaoh said, okay, go get out of here. And so they exodus out. And then they come through the water because Pharaoh didn't hold his word. He started to follow and chase after them. He came after them. And then they went into the water. And that water, that baptism of Moses, as Paul calls it, crashes down onto Pharaoh and his army and cleanses the people of Israel from that which was trying to kill them and ushered them into the wilderness where they would be tested. They would be tested with food, with manna that fell down from heaven and with the, with the meat that they would whine. We had meat in Egypt and you took us out. We're going to die, you wretched man. Why did you bring us out here? They longed to go back into captivity in Egypt. But they, they were tested and they failed the test. 
They failed the test. So what should have been a three-day journey or a, or a week journey ended up taking them how long? 40 years they wandered in the, in the wilderness trying to find their way, but they continued to fail the test time after time after time after time. Well, after they go into the wilderness, what happens then? Moses goes up onto the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he receives what? He receives instruction from God, the Ten Commandments, and he comes back down to find them worshiping a calf. He comes back down to the wilderness. He comes back down, and he gives to them the commands of God, which they fail to keep over and over and over and over, proving that they are not covenant keepers. They are not children of God. You see, that's what the law of Sinai was given for. It was to bring justification of the uh, wrath of God that would be poured out against these people that were supposed to be his people but were not his people because they did not love him him and they did not keep his commands they failed they failed they failed they failed and all of this we will see was to point to the one who was needed to come that would be true israel and who would not fail so they go into egypt they come the the children are killed uh those who were not uh in the presence of the lamb and they come out of egypt into the water out of the water into the wilderness up on the mountain down from the mountain he feeds the people with manna when when god feeds the people with manna when moses comes down off of the mountain once he feeds the people with mountain with the manna after he comes off the mountain they're severely tested in these ways he gives them the word of god that will uh, set them free from this but they disobey the word of god finally after many many years they finally make it somewhat into the promised land and we see the temple being erected we see david and his kingdom coming into view and we see uh, this presence of God manifest itself in the temple of God with his people and then we see what we see them continuing to disobey once again and now they're exiled out of the land taken into captivity one part by the Babylonians and another part by the Assyrians which in large part leads into the new testament the new covenant and the coming of the Messiah the chosen one the one true son of God who would keep the covenant and do what Israel could not do. Now, you say, well, I've heard that all that before. What in the world has that got to do with anything? I'll show you something. Now, remember what the position is. Remember what the statement is that I am making, the claim that I am making. I am making the claim that Jesus Christ is true Israel. And that everyone born of Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit, which is the seal of God, Ephesians chapter 1, is born into his family and thereby becomes children of true Israel, sons of Israel. You following so far? Now watch this. Jesus Christ fulfills everything that Jerusalem, that Israel could not fulfill. The 144,000 as New Jerusalem... And remember what we said about New Jerusalem. In 21, the bride is explicitly called the New Jerusalem, true Israel. This idea of the, of the uh, renewing of the people of God because they had failed, but Jesus Christ will renew them. They are explicitly called, the bride is explicitly called the New Jerusalem and it is explicitly defined being made up of 12 tribes and 12 apostles. This 144,000 as 
New Jerusalem, birthed into the family of true Israel through the promised seed, Romans chapter 9, verse 8, Galatians 3, 16, sealed with the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption, we'll look at that in just a second, and made one with all believers of all time through him, Galatians 3, 25 says that in Christ there is now no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no longer two, speaking of Jews and Gentiles, but there is now one. In Christ Jesus, we're born in the same family. We'll, we'll check this out. The book of Matthew, in many people's understandings, is written, and it is written to Jews, but it is written in such a way. Now, you, you, need, to, you need to be asking questions of me. You need to test your pastor. You need to say, now, pastor, you've said that, it said, you've said that while the text clearly says 144,000 from 12 from this tribe, 12 from this tribe, 12 from this tribe, that you have said that... Uh, the, 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 the audience of the author would have not understand it to be a literal people from a literal Israel. There's so many evidences there that I can't cover them all. But here is one way that I want to show you that he cannot be meaning a literal people because tribal identity and ethnic identity was never, it was never the promoter of or the definitive foundation of relationship with God, was it? What was it? It was obedience to the commands of God, and thereby they would keep the covenant and have covenant relationship with him. It was never because of ethnicity. And so if John is introducing a partial, a partialism or a, a love that comes from ethnic lines, this is completely foreign to anything that we've seen before. Because up to this point, we have all been made equal, and there is no partialism because all are under the headship of Jesus Christ and born into the family through one faith, one baptism, one Lord, and one salvation. Amen? So in my eyes, we must ask then, well, if this is not an ethnic partiality, if this is not an ethnic salvation, then what must it mean? Well, let's look at how Matthew... Now, we're going to step away from Revelation for a minute, okay? I think I've shown enough about how John does this. I want you to look at how Matthew shows the Jews, a Jewish audience, how Jesus Christ did, does and did fulfill everything that Israel was to fulfill and thereby, thereby established himself as true Israel, the head of the covenant and by which and through whom Anyone who wanted to have a relationship with God would come, and they would enjoy being part of true Israel, sons of God, sons of Israel, sons of Abraham, as is explicitly stated in Galatians chapter 3 and Romans chapter 9. Now listen to this. Now, I, don't, I know that little, that's a little bit academic for you, but I want you to remember the practical application here is that if, I'm, if what I'm saying is right, then everything in the Old Testament are promises from God fulfilled in Jesus Christ and made applicable and receivable by you. You understand what I'm saying? If we have a clear distinction between the church and Israel and there is no and there is no joining together then the promises of the Old Testament are for Israel and not for Gentiles. I want to make that clear. So what I am saying today is practically applied to you by by showing you what it means to be a son of God. Okay, now, let's go ahead and get into it. We see in the Gospel of Matthew, I'm going to kind of go through this kind of quickly. I, I think we will get out a little bit early today because I want to show you this, and I just want you to sit on it for a little while. 
I want it to stew inside of you. I want you to test it. I want, you to, I want you to think about these things and meditate on these things. I want you to go back and I want you to read through Matthew. And I want you to let the Holy Spirit show you, lead you, and guide you into all things. And don't take my word for it, but go back and study to show yourself approve a workman. All right, here we go. So, as a reminder, we see the people of God, Israel, they go into Egypt in captivity. They... Uh, then experience persecution in captivity, uh, but God comes and brings the Redeemer, and then they are set free from uh, Egypt through the Exodus by the killing of the firstborn. And as they leave in the Exodus, they then go out of Egypt into the water, out of the water, into the wilderness, up on the mountain, down from the mountain. They feed, uh, they're fed by God with the bread of God. Then they go into the land where they experience exile because they refuse to keep the covenant. Amen? Okay. Now, in Matthew chapter 2, Jesus goes into Egypt under compulsion because Herod is looking to kill him. Listen to what it says. Now then they had departed. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Now you might say, well, Brandon, you're just making a connection there. That's not actually about Herod. But wait, there's more. It says here, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet we know as Hosea, because this is a quotation of Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. It says, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, Hosea was speaking of the nation of Israel, Israel being called out of Egypt, but here Matthew clearly says is that what he was really speaking of and what this was foreshadowing of is that this was speaking of Jesus Christ coming out of Egypt, that the Old Testament actually foreshadows and is about something greater than what is written in the book. We do have the historical data in the book, and we can go to it, and we can learn historical facts, but what we need to understand is this is greater than just that historical fact, but that it points to something greater. And we know that the, Matthew, that, the, that the author Matthew of the New Testament scriptures shows us that that was actually about Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, like Israel, goes into Egypt under compulsion. And it continues on. It says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who, there, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, 15. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. You see, right after this, he comes out of Egypt. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So what was the, what was the marking point in Matthew's gospel for Jesus coming out of Egypt? It was the death of the children. What was the marking point of Israel coming out of Egypt? It was the death of the children. What is the only difference? The difference is, is that the blood of the lamb, the presence of the lamb was there to protect the people of Israel when it was in the Old Testament and Jesus Christ had, had left Bethlehem and the, the absence of the presence of the lamb did not protect and therefore the children of Israel died. Both marking the exodus of Israel out of Egypt. One true Israel and one ethnic Israel. It gets even richer. 
In Matthew chapter 2, um, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 3, Jesus then goes through the water just like Israel at the Red Sea. Now, I want to show you that, again, I'm not just making this up, but if you look at uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 13, at the first part of Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist comes declaring the way and preparing the way for Jesus. Just like uh, uh, in, he came in the spirit of Elijah. He was proclaiming that, that the Messiah was coming. He was proclaiming that the king was coming. And when he came and established himself as the forerunner of Jesus Christ, verse 13 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. Now, John says, I don't, need to, I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. And actually, he was right. Because why do we get baptized? For the washing, for the regeneration, for the removal of sin. Did Jesus Christ have any sin? None. Did he need to be baptized? No. But he said, I must be baptized in order to what? In order to fulfill the scriptures. In order to show you that Israel going through the water was actually a foreshadowing of me because I must go through the water not to cleanse myself of my sins, but to cleanse my people from their sins. Jesus Christ is true Israel and must be baptized in order to fulfill the scriptures. I think I read over 20 times the word fulfill is found in Matthew alone. He says, I must, Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us, uh, for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending on him like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What did, G what did God continually refer to, refer to Israel in the Old Testament? my son. Jesus was established as the true son of God at his baptism as the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. Like a dove. There's so much more there I could continue on. Well, do you say, well, Brandon, you, you kind of making a connection there that I'm not so sure is there. You might want to think about that. Well, Let's just let the New Testament authors say what the New Testament authors mean. How about that? Don't take Brandon's word for it. I don't want you to. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. What does Paul say about the baptism of Jesus Christ? 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5. Listen for yourself. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. The rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. What were they overthrown by? They were overthrown by their sin, by their lust, by their desires. Even though the presence of God was there, they failed. They failed in the wilderness. They did not uh, conform to the image of God. They did not obey God, but they walked away from God, proving that they were not true Israel as Paul would make a distinction between Israel and true Israel in Romans chapter 9. 
You see, Jesus Christ is essentially saying, Matthew is essentially saying that Jesus Christ is the true Israel. He was the one that, that the baptism pointed to the whole time. That was a baptism of Moses. What did John the Baptist say? Continue on. What did he later say? He said, I baptize you in the baptism of repentance, but there's one coming behind me that will baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. You see, I'm painting a picture, but this man is the work of art. <laughs> Amen? I'm trying to show you something. He's the substance. Hebrews, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, uh, all in some way, shape, form, or fashion say that all of these things were a foreshadowing or a type. They are not the essence. They are not the reality. They are not the, the, the thing, but they just are a shadow of the thing. And we don't need to stand in the shadow of a thing. We need to embrace the thing. We need to embrace Christ. And we do not need to see, you see, how do you say, how does this practically apply to me? I'll tell you how it practically applies to you. Many of you beat yourselves to death because you're trying to keep the law of Moses, and God never intended you to be in the law, under the law of Moses. As a matter of fact, I can't find any Gentiles in the whole entire scriptures that are under the law of Moses. That was for the Israelites. So you beat yourselves to death trying to conform to the, to the, to the rules and regulations you find in the Old Testament. But Jesus Christ said, I don't know why you're trying to do that. I died in and obedient to those laws that you could be set free from those laws and now found in grace under the law of Christ. You're no longer slaves to disobedience or slaves to sins. You're slaves to righteousness. You were born in the family of God, and you are obligated, but you are not obligated out of an obedience of works, but out of an obedience of faith, meaning that you are so in love with Jesus Christ, you can't do anything else. There's two different kinds of obligation. I've been arguing all week with a guy about this. He says, you're not obligated to obey Christ. I say, yeah, you are. As a matter of fact, I was arguing with another guy at the beginning of the week that, that I said, you're not obligated to obey the law. He said, yes, you are. So one, one side I'm being uh, uh, condemned because of my lawlessness, and on the other side I'm being condemned because of my desire to obey the law. But I think it's just a, a misunderstanding, a misconception. When I say that we're not under the law of Moses, I mean that we're not under the curse of the law. Nobody could fulfill that law. Nobody could obey that law. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wage of sinners is death. Is that you can't do it, son. I'm telling you right now, you never will. But Jesus Christ did do it. It's done. It's finished. It's completed. It's absolutely uh, uh, no take-backs, crisscross no take-backs, no nothing like that. Jesus Christ has done it. It can't be undid. Yeah, I said undid. But you see, once Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law, what happens is, is that we are born into the family of God and under the umbrella of Jesus Christ, we are sons of the true Israel and therefore all the covenant blessings are available to us. Paul says in Corinthians, he says, all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And that once we are in Christ, the law is fulfilled in Christ and written on our hearts. You remember I've preached many, many times on it, uh, Ezekiel chapter 26 which says that I will take out your heart of stone and I will replace it with a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will write on your heart my ways and statutes and cause you to walk in them. How does he do that? By twisting your arm up behind your back? That's what the people who want to say we're not under law but under grace, which I say amen on one side, but on the other side we are obligated to keep the law of Christ. Jesus said, or John says in First uh, John chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, that if you love me, keep my commandments. In chapter 5, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And not only that, but my commandments will not be burdensome to you. As a matter of fact, that not only will we keep the law of God, but we will love to do so. You see, those of us who think that 
the scriptures are binding on us and that they are, they are uh, strange to us and they're impeding on our freedom are not true children of God. It's just not, it's just not the case. I'm not, I'm not making it up. I'll just read the Bible to you. But those of you who are truly born again, you are true Israel, and the law is fulfilled in you, and the Spirit lives within inside of you. And now the work that you do, you, not, you don't do by your own power, but you do by the power of the God who lives in you, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, and fulfill the law perfectly. Now you just obey the law because that's just who you are. And you're obligated to do so, but you don't work out of obligation, but out of love. And I told one like this, is that, yeah, I'm obligated to the law, but I love to keep it. As a matter of fact, the law of the United States says that I am legally responsible to provide for my children. If you don't believe that, divorce your wife and, and go to court over, child, <laughs> over uh, child support. They will legally bind you to provide for your children. It's a law. But they don't know. There's never been a police officer come to my house and try to make me provide for my children. I love to do so. As a matter of fact, I provide above and beyond. I will stop and get milkshakes. They don't need that milkshake. As a matter of fact, they don't need the milkshake. <laughs> but I love for them to have the milkshake. You don't have to twist my arm to, to give them, you know, the bare necessities. If I've got it, they've got it. It's a, you know, and the scriptures just start to come alive to you, right? Uh, you fathers, how many of you earthly fathers, if your child would ask you for a piece of bread, you'd give him a snake? I wouldn't do that. You know? How much more then would your Father in heaven bless you with all these things? You see, we, we have sonship. It's sonship. But we are still obligated, but we don't mind being obligated at all. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says in Romans chapter 6, I do believe it is, is that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. Well, how could Paul say that? Paul says in Romans chapter 9, he says, I, he said, I, I, I'm outside the law. And I minister to those outside of the law, not as being outside of the law myself, not the law of, outside of the law of Moses, but under the law of Christ. He's under the law, but he loves. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, the love of Christ controls me. You see, it's not that, it's just a balance. It's a balance. So I've gotten a little bit off topic, but I want to show you this because Jesus Christ being true Israel brings us into the family of God. Therefore, all the, all the fulfillment of the covenant, the, um, all of the obedience that Israel could not do, Jesus did and transfers to those who are in him. Under the blood, we do not suffer the wrath of God. Under the blood. Well... We, we continue. Um, so in uh, Matthew chapter 2, we see Jesus going into Egypt under compulsion, just like Israel. Matthew chapter 2, uh, at the end of that, we see Jesus then leaves Egypt after the killing of the firstborns, just like Israel. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus then goes through the water, just like Israel at the Red Sea. Now, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus then goes into the wilderness to be tested, just like Israel. So you remember what happened when, when Israel came out of the water, they went into the wilderness to be tested. Tested with what? Tested with food. Do you remember? With the manna. And they were mad because they wasn't getting any meat. So, so God caused meat to fall out of the sky and stuffed them so full. And he said, you cannot stop eating until it came out of their mouths. You want food? I see them now, you know. I feel like that with my kids sometimes. I want candy. I want candy. Eat it all, you know. But he, he tests them, and they fail to test, and so it, it's food and drink, it's, and many other things, but we see explicitly it's food and drink. And so they're mad at Moses, so, mad, so Moses strikes the rock to get on water, 
we just read that Jesus is the rock and he was struck so that we could receive the fountain of living water. But that's another story. But what we see is Jesus Christ coming out of the water and going into the wilderness. And, I mean, immediately. Chapter 4, as soon as the baptism of Jesus, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is even cooler. Watch this. Israel went into the desert to be tempted, into the wilderness to be tempted, and God gave them the word that they would need to answer with in order to overcome the temptation to, 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 to sin against God and to disobey God and to be in rebellion against God. But they refused to use the word of God, to believe God, to trust God, to carry them through the wilderness. So they disobeyed and therefore removed themselves from the covenant blessing. But Jesus Christ, when he was tempted like Israel, did not fail like Israel, but he answered Satan according to the word of God. Anybody know what scripture Jesus used when answering Satan? Deuteronomy. The very scripture that was given to Israel that they should have used in order to answer their own sinful flesh and lusts. Jesus Christ is true Israel. That does what Israel would not and could not do. He fulfills all of the covenant in order to secure the covenant blessings. And he takes all the covenant curses in order to, to uh, uh, seal for us the covenant blessings. So chapter 4, he goes into the wilderness to be tested just like Israel. Jesus is also tested with food just like the Israelites were. The same word was used. Check this out. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus then goes, where did, let me do this first. Where did Moses go after, or it was kind of during, where did Moses go in the wilderness, after he got into the wilderness and they started to be tempted, where did Moses go? Up on the mountain. So just like Moses, Jesus Christ goes into Egypt, out of Egypt, into the water, into the wilderness, up on the mountain. Except it's not Mount Sinai. It's what? The Mount of Olives. And most of us know about the Mount of Olives in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. So Moses goes up onto the mountain in order to receive instruction and commands of God. Jesus Christ goes onto the mountain and uh, uh, gives instructions and commands of God. Only he does this. He reestablishes. It's called recapitulation. He reestablishes or retells or reinstitutes everything that Israel had done. He says, everything that you have seen, you need to understand now through a new lens. And that new lens is me. I'm the Messiah. Because, and you say, you're just making too much out of this, Brandon. Well, Jesus Christ is the one in Matthew chapter 5, and I quote, you have, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Again, in, chapter, in, in verse 27 of chapter 5, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, and he goes on. In uh, verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce, but I say to you, and he goes on. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform the Lord to the Lord what you have sworn, but I say to you, and he goes on. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, and he goes on, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies as your own self. 
Jesus Christ establishes his rule and his authority and that everything in the Old Testament pointed and showed everyone that it was all about him. The whole Old Testament was coming like this, like a train, and it showed Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, and I hope you're seeing this. I'm out of time, but if I had more time, I'd show you Matthew chapter 12 where Jesus explicitly teaches that, that, that he and his disciples were like David and his mighty men, that he is the temple, that he is true Israel. And in Jesus Christ, we find that we are true Israel, the sons and daughters of God, and all the promises of God in Christ to us are yes and amen. We are no longer under law because the law has been fulfilled. It's done. It's finished. It's obsolete. We now are under grace. We are under the law of Christ, which is the working and indwelling of the Holy Spirit that causes us to do and be who God has called us to do and what he has called us to do and who he has called us to be. You see the difference in this, men and women of God? You see, I'm not telling you. This is, this is, let me make a distinction here. I am not telling you that you need to do better. I'm not telling you that if you say that you're a Christian, you need to do this and you're obligated, don't you know? Stop doing what you do. You're obligated. You shouldn't be doing that. I don't have to tell true believers that. I don't have to. I don't have to at all. As a matter of fact, they don't want to do those things. That's what Paul says. The things I don't want to do, I do. Who will set me free from this body of death? All I'm doing is giving you an encouraging word that Jesus Christ secured the victory as he died on the cross. He took all the covenant curses to secure all the covenant blessings. And what was the covenant blessings? The covenant blessings is that we would be the people of God. That was always the covenant blessing that was priority and primary to God. He said, if you will walk in my ways, if you will obey my commands, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will dwell amongst my people. Jesus Christ came and it was said of him that the word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. Jesus Christ is true Israel. And I'm painting this picture for you because I'm telling you right now that when we see the 144,000, a perfect number of the new Jerusalem, the new Israel that was born through Jesus Christ, not to the neglect of the Jew, but to the inclusion of all the nations. And we see Judah first in the list. And we know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah King from the tribe of Judah who came to bless all of the nations. And when we look to Jesus Christ and it says that 144,000 was seen what do we understand the seal to mean this is what I'll end on if you guys can stand to your feet I want to just paint a glorious picture for you right now of your sealing if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior listen to what the scriptures teach us concerning that Ephesians chapter 1 let's start in verse 11 I want you to listen to this as you know what the scripture says in Revelation chapter 7 that it says that, that God will protect his covenant people uh, from every trial and tribulation that's coming that they might not be separated from him that they might not be uh, 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 taken away from him that they might be secured in their salvation and though they might lose their life and though they might come under trial and though they might experience persecution we know at the end of the day he will never leave us and he will never forsake us for we have gained what we have been what we have been sealed we have been sealed by the power of God and what is that seal what is that seal listen to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 through 14 in him we have in, obtained an inheritance an inheritance only comes to sons 
in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What is the seal that would carry us through every tribulation? The seal that would carry us through the plagues, through the famines, through the attack, through the bloodshed, through the war, through the famine, through the earthquake, through the tornado, through the hurricane. What is the seal that would protect us, the perfect number of God's people, predestined for all time, that are His, and He knows who they are, and He comes and He finds them. And Jesus Christ said, of those that God has given me, I will not lose, not one, not even one. Why? because they're sealed with the power of God. They're sealed with the seal of the Holy Spirit. And when you are born again by God, you receive the Holy Spirit. He indwells you and you become sons and daughters of the one true God. His name is Jesus. He is true Israel. You cannot lose it. You cannot misplace it. You will be redeemed. Amen and amen. Woo-wee! Let's pray. we got business to do with God. You see, all this time you've thought, God just wants me to do all of this stuff. And it's a burden to me. It's, I don't like it. I don't want to do it. Friend, God ain't trying to put a yoke on you that's hard. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because I'm going to do it inside of you. And when I change your desires, you say, there's the key. He doesn't He doesn't place expectation, demands, and obligations on you that you don't want to do. He only leads you into that which you love because he changes the desires of your heart. And as any man or woman in here that has fallen in love with Jesus Christ, if you would only give a slow hand up to say that I don't don't obey God out of obligation. I love to follow my Jesus. I love to do the things of God. I love to walk in his ways. I love to obey him. I don't got to. I get to. And friend, today, if you're in bondage to sin, you don't got to live in it. You don't. You don't. Jesus Christ fulfilled all of those laws. He fulfilled all of it. He took all the covenant curses so that you wouldn't have to. He secures all the covenant blessings so that you can just receive any one of them anytime you want to. All you got to do is call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your hearts as they did in the days of Egypt. Don't harden your heart today, but allow God to set you free. We need the blood on the doorpost so that we don't die in infancy. We need to come back to our Father, don't we, Mike? The Father's calling you home, child of God. He really is. He really is. And a lot of you are children of God, but you've wandered away like the prodigal son. And I tell you right now, Jesus is not looking at you with a list saying, well, he's got to do this, 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 and this before he can come back. As a matter of fact, he's sitting by the phone waiting, Brother Mike, and he's looking and he's waiting. As soon as that phone rings, he snatches that thing up. He says, son, is that you? As a matter of fact, the father, what did he do? He girded his loins. It means he undignified himself and he ran halfway down the road to grab his son up before he could even tell him what he would do to come back. He's not looking for you to work your way back into the kingdom. He's looking for you to come home so he can hug your neck. Right, Donnie? Donnie said, I just want to hug him. You didn't want to correct him. You didn't want to tell him. You didn't want to instruct him. You just want to hug him. Man, he just wants to hug you. He just wants to love you. He wants to embrace you. As a matter of fact, he died on the cross to do it. That's how much he loves you. 
You're valuable and precious in the sight of the Lord. And I just pray that you wouldn't go out of here without him because you need him. And so do I. You're precious and valuable in the sight of the Lord. He died to prove it. And I believe him. I do. And so would you come today and do business with God, whether that's salvation, repentance, rededication, I don't really care what it is, but would you come and do business with God so that God would be glorified in your life and so that you would be absolutely blessed beyond all imagination. God loves you. He really does. God loves you. I don't say it enough. I really don't. God loves you. He loves you more than anything else in this world. Angels long to look into what he's done for you. They really do. They really do. Come and do business with God.